Programming Notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of December 25th, 2022. Merry Christmas to those celebrating this week, as well as uh, Happy New Year. (laughs) As the community gets handed over to the Data Mesh Learning Foundation in the very near future, there are going to be an absolute ton of speaking opportunities and other ways to get involved. I'm also working on potentially some private exec roundtables even, and we might do some more theme weeks on the podcast, maybe even have more guest hosts in 2023. So get excited. We're going to be kicking the data mesh community into overdrive. Think about your perspective and how that could help others out there and and get out there and start talking to other people. I know a lot of people think you have to have all the answers before you start to, to share. That's just not true. Hopefully this podcast has proved that to you. So what's coming up this week? On Monday, we have episode 172, Data Governance Evolutions and Revolutions for Data Mesh, an interview with Andrew Sharp at the Oakland Group. So as someone focused on helping companies implement data governance, Andrew has some great perspective on what it will take to do data governance right for Data Mesh. Hint, it isn't going to be easy. So how can we get to where we want without making our current implementations unstable, right? How can we make this kind of revolutionary change but do it in a way that is evolutionary so that we don't completely (laughs) get rid of all the good and completely change everything that we're doing. So tune in for some really good uh, perspective from Andrew there. On Wednesday, it's episode 173, Jamax Corner 13, Preventing Unnecessary Data Movement in Spirit and in Reality. The start of another awesome recording session with Jamax, and this one was even in person. (laughs) So what does Jamak mean when she says, leave the data where it is? She said it a lot. Some people have have interpreted it in a lot of different ways. Hint, it's not leave it in the source system, unfortunately, for those data virtualization vendors. (laughs) So how can we prevent the unnecessary movement of data as well just to process it, right? We don't want to process, we don't want to move data unnecessarily in ownership, but we don't also want to move it just for processing. Can we bring the processing to the data? What might that look like? What might that mean? Jamax obviously got some great opinions and and perspective on this. And then on Friday, it's going to be episode 174, Measuring Impact and Value of Your Data Products in Data Mesh, which is an interview with Pink Shu at Vista. This was potentially the interview that changed my views the most in the second half of 2022. So if you were doing uh, interview impact measurement, this would be (laughs) very large impact. It's a lot of really phenomenal insight into looking at the impact of data products and by extension, how you could think about measuring the impact of data work in general. Well, not having a centralized data team be the arbiter of trying to assign value to a data product or to data work. 
It's very helpful in framing my thinking on this crucial topic heading into 2023, and I think it can be for all of you out there as well. So with that, let's go ahead and get into the extended summaries for the interviews from this week's episodes. Extended summary for episode 172, Data Governance Evolutions and Revolutions for Data Mesh, an interview with Andrew Sharp. So in this episode, I interviewed Andrew, who is the data governance lead at the consulting company, The Oakland Group. Andrew started the conversation off with a potentially controversial, but probably often agreed with statement of the four pillars of data mesh, federated computational governance is the most challenging and is the least mature in ways of working and patterns. Organizations are starting to learn and make their way forward, but it's still a major challenge. Be prepared to explore and find the right path for you and your organization. According to Andrew, most organizations are already not doing that well with data governance in the traditional sense. So trying to figure out how to do it in a federated approach will be even more difficult. And in data mesh, the computational aspect of federated computational governance means things are automatically applied where appropriate. That's very hard to do when you know exactly what needs to be done. So it will be doubly hard in data mesh where we are still figuring it out as to what actually needs to be done. But changing your data governance approach can be an opportunity, not just a threat to the existing status quo. How can we leverage the change we are doing to do governance better than we ever were before? Far easier said than done, but it's not only challenges with your evolution of your data governance. To do data governance right in data mesh, Andrew believes it is more likely to require a major shift to generally how the industry approaches data governance. Organizations will need to make big changes over time rather than just a few tweaks to better align with data mesh. But it is very early days, and that all remains to be seen. It's still just a prediction at this point. A note from me, I I strongly agree with this belief. I think people are looking for ways to not invest effort in aspects of data mesh, but I think many have noted the automated scalable governance work pays significant dividends as your implementation goes wider. And a lot of it is simply automating away the toil instead of automating away absolutely everything. So you see a lot of people who say giving easy access and quick access, a quick response on an access request is much more important than trying to automate every single aspect of giving someone access. But Andrew wanted to stress that while we need major shifts, it's almost more like tectonic shifts than seismic shifts. You know, seismics is often result in the volcanic eruptions and the earthquakes, kind of sudden, large, but not moving quite as quickly. You know, the big bang change approach to governance is overly risky. 
right? That large moving in, in, but constant movement is the tectonic kind of way. Why put all your eggs in one basket rather than try incremental improvements? Again, that big bang approach. Data mesh is all about trying, getting feedback and iterating to improvement and governance shouldn't be any difference. Build up the momentum around your changes and work with people to communicate where you are headed and why. When discussing evolution of data governance and kind of that that debate of traditional data governance roles and people that have been working in governance for a long time versus new people moving into the space, Andrew believes it is crucial for those doing the traditional type of data governance to grow and adapt their skills especially technically. We're still not sure. Will roles require additional responsibilities? Will domains have embedded data governance-focused people where that's their main role? Or will most of data governance at the domain level be split to responsibilities handled by all sorts of different people, but those people aren't exclusively focused on governance? We're still not sure. He... Andrew doesn't expect widespread redundancies in in data governance, but do prepare for some changes to the roles and the ways of working. That said, all of this also, it can be very much of a pendulum action instead of a permanent shift. So potentially look for an overly technical focus for a year or two before it settles back into a better equilibrium where there's not so much of a focus on technical as the main aspect versus a crucial aspect. Quote unquote, turkeys voting for Christmas is a phrase that Andrew used relative to perception of the work many governance teams are doing in data mesh. Essentially, if turkey is a traditional Christmas dinner, are these governance teams that are helping lead the work to federate governance eliminating their own rules? He doesn't believe so, Andrew doesn't, and I strongly do not believe so. Look at the federated governance. It isn't fully decentralized. That is just silos, right? Data silos are bad. So you need central coordination points and planners. Where the balance falls for governance responsibilities remains to be seen. But I think the idea that we have no more data team, no more central data team, just doesn't make sense when you think about federation versus completely decentralized. You need people that are focused on the coordination and the the higher level picture. Again, one thing that's been through a lot of these episodes is execs don't tend to ask questions that are only in a single domain. So the governance folks are not turkeys voting for Christmas. (laughs) Historically, the central governance team has been doing all the heavy lifting because they are the ones trained to do so, according to Andrew. But if we use a fishing analogy, We can see why central teams are happy to participate in something like data mesh. If they have to fish and provide food for everyone in the organization, that's a lot of fish you need to bring in. Instead, give other people rods, teach them to fish. You can still focus on the big value fish as that central data governance team, such as going and catching a swordfish or a tuna. But by breaking the workload down into manageable chunks, Everyone can move faster and focus on creating more value where they have the best context. The less, like actual coordination we need across teams where it's coordinated action instead of understanding what everybody's doing, the less unnecessary friction there is. So a couple of quick tidbits to end on. Most 
understand why data ownership is crucial, but many domains are not willing or not capable to take real ownership of data immediately. So gradual capability building and ownership handover is probably necessary. This to me is one that comes up over and over. Data ownership is not a zero or a one. The role of data governance professionals in data mesh is still in flux. Will there be embedded roles in domains or will it merely be skill sets a part of broader roles? Either way, there is likely to be a significant shortage of highly capable data governance people, while the need for those people is greater in data mesh than traditional approaches. So as Andrew said, there's probably going to be some shifts and things that happen now, but over the long run, people who understand governance and the need and the the ways of, of actually doing it are going to be high, high, high in demand. So if somebody wants to look at moving into governance, that's great from this, but also people that are in governance, it's not like people like this is uh, going to be a bad thing in the long run for, for the vast majority of you. Extended summary for episode 174, Measuring the Impact and Value of Your Data Products in Data Mesh, an interview with Pink Shu. So in this episode, I interviewed Pink, who's a change manager of business impact of data products at Vista. This is really the first one that I've had uh, on the podcast about measuring impact and measuring the value of your data work very specifically. We've touched on it a couple of times. So before we jump in, there are a few specific examples in this episode to Vista, but I think in general, it's incredibly relevant when looking at measuring the impact of your data work. As Pink says, set the objective or the goal for the the data product and then measure if it met that objective or goal. It isn't the impact framework's job to specifically measure if the objective of the data product is valuable and how valuable what you were trying to accomplish was. It's only to provide an objective way to measure how well did the data product meet its goal. If your people that are are setting the strategy and are looking for a data product to support that strategy of, of whatever they're trying to accomplish. It might be something revenue or cost related. It might be business decision. It might be specifically um, interacting with the customer and, and increasing their satisfaction. But what are you actually trying to accomplish? That's And then did you accomplish it? That's the impact measurement framework's uh, job, but, or, you know, assisting in doing that. But the framework can't tell whether the objective was of value. So Pink started the conversation on what her focus is, just setting the framework, you know, the methodology for measuring the impact of data products. At Vista, they wanted to create a way of measuring the impact of an incremental data product that was as standardized as possible so people looking at impact don't have to learn a new way of measurement for each incremental data product. 
with data observability and data mesh, most organizations are focused on centrally defining and describing data quality trust metrics instead of centrally doing the measuring or setting the SLAs, right? That is on the data product owners to say, this is um, our uh, data quality level and this is our target data quality level. And that shouldn't be on the central team. That way there is comparability across data products, which means less work for someone to understand the quality of the data. So Vista is taking that same approach with impact measurement, making it easier on data producers to measure their own impact and report on it and making it far easier on people consuming that information about what was the impact to compare across data products instead of a customized set of metrics that nobody really understands for each incremental data product. According to Pink, the most common impact people want to look for at, you know, for at a data product is direct financial impact. And that is completely understandable. It's very tangible. It's something that everybody thinks this is the thing of the business. And it's what she initially thought she'd focus on the most. But as Jamak and others have also mentioned, this can lead to only creating these direct bottom line impact data products, you know, something that just directly drives more sales and or cost savings, right? That it's very, very direct. But often that is quick, small scale, not interconnected wins. That means missing the big picture of what is happening relative to your organization to set long-term strategic decision, right, or, and direction. If, if there is something that helps to reduce time to hire for HR or leads to better retention, that is much more difficult financial impact or business impact to measure. Then think about like the decision to enter a new market. Ping, Pink talked about this, the go, no-go decision. Is that really able to be measured in financial impact terms versus smart business decision terms. So at Vista, they're also looking at more qualitative measures, like what impact does a data product have on making you know, key decision business decisions? Is it the core driver to making a key decision or is it one of you know, 100 aspects of a decision? And then what about you know, back to the other thing. What about the, the impact on like even customer experience? How do you think about that? So, you know, kind of unpacking that again a little bit. If you only focus on direct financial impact, you're not going to focus on driving the business in the right way with your data because there's so much more to doing business than just trying to up your sales and, and drive down your costs. Right. If that's all we had to do, then everybody that's just really good at operations would be the only people that ever got hired. So Pink is spearheading developing a framework that includes what type of impact people want to measure. That obviously can be that direct financial impact, be it sales or improving margins, etc. But also a number of other impacts as mentioned above. The key to the framework is making it so people can easily measure the impact of whether that, that data product was successful or not, and then communicate it in a language others, mostly execs, understand. But the central data team, notably Pink here, uh, they do, you know, does not tell, they don't tell the 
data product owners what impact a data product should have, or really what impact directly the data product had to business versus how well did the data product meet its goal, right? And it gets a little bit wishy-washy when you try and dig into it. But the more that you dig in, actually, the more I think you'll understand that. So they don't tell product owners what uh, a data product in, you know, should have, what the impact, nor do the central team do the measurement. That's where you get bottlenecks, folks. The central team owning the doing instead of the guiding and directing. The central team's role is to make sure people are measuring appropriately within the framework and help the data product creators adopt the measurement framework instead of just kind of pushing it on them and they don't like it or, or believe in it. As an example at Vista, Pinked talked about a data product measuring the time between when a customer starts using a custom template to competing, completing their order, as well as thinking about the order abandon rate. So, you know, if they're designing a wedding invite or they're designing a business card or whatever, if there's um, a template that makes people go really fast and has a high throughput to actually getting somebody to order things, that's far better, obviously, than if you, uh, if it uh, is difficult to, and cumbersome to use, but it's really difficult to figure out the exact measurement. So if you look at how quickly someone is actually able to do the work they want and get to a good final quality, you can recommend better templates to those users or even decide what types of templates you might want to create more of, right? And you can measure reorder rates as well. So the impact measurement is focused more on customer satisfaction with a long-term, long-tail financial impact. Much harder to measure the direct financial impact of that, right? Again, than the impact of a pricing change. And you don't really want to. I mean, it would be lovely if we could, but, you know, it's, it's so expensive from a time standpoint to try and do that. A really interesting insight is that even after a year, Pink still believes that they are pretty still early in their impact measurement journey. They're not using impact measurement yet to drive decisions on creating new data products versus measuring what has already been created. Essentially, the impact measurement is in that kind of descriptive phase of analytics, and they have not yet moved to predictive or prescriptive. That doesn't mean that the data products themselves are only descriptive, but the measurement is currently at that stage. So a note from me, this is very unsurprising to be at only the descriptive stage. Talk to anyone in nonprofit about impact measurement. It's incredibly difficult. Pink and team are far ahead of the general curve here. As an industry, we are just learning how to effectively measure data work impact and value in general. And I, I haven't seen anybody that's really said anything beyond, you know, the obvious of this is what you want to measure versus here's how you actually go about it. Pink made a great point circling back on financial impact measurement. If you were focused only on measuring immediate value, you won't build data products for better long-term decision-making. But you can't only focus on the promise of what impact a data product might have in the future. So you want to make sure any impact measurement framework considers all aspects of value and aligns with a long-term vision, but can point to value creation in the short term too, right? You want to have a balance of being able to do these things. 
as part of this, they're trying to work towards a way to equate financial impact, business decision impact, and customer value impact to make it more comparable between the three. That takes a lot of data to measure long-term versus short-term outcomes. And so they're just at the start of that, but it's a really interesting idea and concept. According to Pink, a few missteps that many might make relative to impact measurement, some of which are, are covered above, but important to reiterate. One, creating a data product without a specific objective you can measure against. That's, you know, these are again are the mistakes people make. If the data product is successful, what does success look like and what would that success justify the investment? Number two mistake, focusing too much on direct measurable financial impact when deciding which data products to create or fund and when looking at how valuable the uh, data product itself was. Number three issue would be focusing on short-term or long-term impact only. Number four, not interviewing data product users and potential users to assess the value of the data product. You know, you're going to get qualitative feedback, but we have to move away from the idea that it's only quantitative. Number five issue would be creating a framework that doesn't make impact measurement comparable, at least in some form across data products. It's really only qualitative at that point, even if it involves numbers, right? Number six, creating a framework focused on valuing data product usage in a vacuum. They're essentially vanity metrics. How much usage does the data product get compared to expectations and how much usage does it get relative to what a successful data product for that person or purpose or objective would get, right? Too often people are focusing on these measurements in a, in a vacuum to try and make them overly comparable when it's okay to not have per- perfect comparison. Number seven, forgetting to involve users in the framework process creation. What are their concerns? If they were concerned, it would, uh, value business decision impact well below financial impact, do you think they'd really want to use this framework, right? Number eight issue would be skipping communication about what people consuming a measurement would want to know. If this CEO wants to know XYZ metric from a data product, you want to build that measurement in the capability to measure that up front. You want to look at what people who are looking at these uh, measurements are actually trying to figure out. And finally, the last issue that I think misstep issue, whatever that uh, Pink had kind of talked about was not helping data product owners adopt the impact measurement framework. They really need to be able to understand the framework to want to use it, especially if it is measuring essentially how well their data product is driving value, right? A couple of quick tidbits to wrap up on. When considering creating a new data product, Think about the impact you would expect it to have. What is the objective for creating the data product? If you are successful with your data product, what does success mean and why would that justify the investment? A single framework means everyone is looking at the same things and it makes it easy to understand. Are they reporting increased sales, contribution margin, gross margin, etc.? It also means that people can trust how it was measured. 
as you know, a note from my side, as a former financial analyst, this is incredibly important. You know, this is why uh, anybody who gets into accounting things, like how inventory is is accounted for is really, really important. Is it last in, first out, first in, first out? Because in uh, times of changing, like wildly changing prices, like we've got now with high inflation, it's actually really impactful to understand how that that inventory is actually valued to see is the the change in the business actually real or is it just kind of paper change um, and it's an accounting maybe not trick but it's an accounting type of thing so the framework should make it easy for people to understand between the, the data products easier said than done but again if you don't try to go too far, in the scope, it's very easy to go super, super far in your scope around your impact measurement framework. Don't do it. Resist the temptation. 